you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Inflation, the Fed, your money, a critical 24 hours ahead. We'll debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour, Josh Brown, Shannon Sakosha, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Let's go to the markets. We do have some green across the board today. There's the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, all higher. The 10-year yield is about 422, 423. You see it right there. So, Weiss, we got through CPI. We got over that test. Now comes the Fed, the biggie. Yeah, what I do we expect here? I think there's a bigger one. That's PPI. Uh, the Fed's going to say what everybody expects them to say, which is that we're holding rates where we are, not being as hawkish as they been as they were a couple of months ago, six weeks ago, but at the same time not saying we're going to ease anytime soon. So CPI pretty much thread the needle, not too hot, not too cold. So it gave the market what it wanted. And so I think you look to tomorrow and hope to see PPI is the same. If that's the case, then I believe that we can rally through the end of the month. Otherwise, I mean, Why, that's a binary just event. The, just the end of the month or, or, or beyond? Because you know, if you do, you know, you still have the, right. the Goldilocks narrative right. being, you know, uh, discussed. And if PPI comes in favorable and the Fed does what you say they're, they're going to do, then why couldn't we rally for beyond just a few more weeks in the calendar? We, we could, but here's what may get in the way of that. So you've seen major gains in the mega cap technology stocks. People may be waiting to sell those until after the first of the year so they can delay paying taxes for at least a quarter. Um, but I also believe once you get into earnings, you'll start to see companies tell a different story, not be as optimistic as they were. Earnings estimates, I mean, generally you always see estimates being beat by about 75, 80 percent traditionally. Uh, I think you may see that come down a little bit. So I think guidance could be a little softer going forward. But you're right. We could rally into the first two weeks of January. And then after that, who knows? Jen, what do you think? Well, I think that the challenge here is that we have been anticipating that there would be something to disrupt this rally, you know, coming through, um, coming out of October, even though seasonality and positioning would have pointed towards the fact that it could potentially continue. Now, we've had some pretty strong gains in November. And we've had, um, I would say, you know, we have a bit of a flurry of Treasury issuance over the course of the next couple of weeks or so. We just saw a 10-year auction that went okay. Um, and so if I think about from a positioning standpoint, I don't disagree with Steve in terms of the mega cap tech names and not wanting to move those out of the portfolio. However, we are seeing some repositioning and some tax loss selling in areas like healthcare. So I think that people are starting to position their, their portfolios. They don't necessarily want to buy cat, want to hold cash right now into the year end though. So perhaps we see a little bit of a pickup of maybe some ETF buying, some index buying, adding to that exposure to get that tech exposure through the end of the year. I want to ask you a question, I guess a more um, 
a more direct way. Why, why are you still neutral equities? Explain to our viewers why you're still neutral equities and not more positive. Because PMIs are continuing to show that the, the economy is slowing. Um, we have not seen the pickup in China that we had anticipated. And, and coming into 2023, Scott, that was going to be the savior, was we were going to see a surge of economic activity in yep. China. We didn't get it. Um, payrolls, fine. They're fine. People are employed. There continues to be strong data. Well, payrolls, However, are, payrolls are better than fine. <laughs> They are not. Payrolls as, are better than They fine. are not as bad as anticipated. Not However, even close. However, we we have seen a 0.4 percent tick up in the unemployment rate in this year, Scott. It's not like we're sitting at the same place we were in the job market earlier this year. We talk about the number of job openings. You and I both know that that jolts number is still unnaturally high. Those jobs aren't out there. They're just sitting around waiting for the perfect candidate to come in. More importantly, the transmission of interest rates of higher interest rates has not fully transmitted through the economy. We have sat here for all year long talking Maybe. about inflation and the Fed. Inflation and the Fed are no longer the story. Interest rates are the story. We have not seen disruption in the credit market. We have not experienced companies that were over levered having to now refinance at higher rates, which, oh, by the way, are not coming down. And certain parts of the economy, such as the housing market, are not going to rebound overnight because affordability remains a, a challenge. I'm not saying that we are going to slip into a deep recession, and that is not our view. A neutral equity stance, Scott, is not a negative equity stance. It means that we believe, particularly in the first half of next year, yeah. that there are going to continue to be economic slowing. <laughs> You didn't like that question, I did you? That, did that you? was great. That I was, was captivated. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it's not you know it's not that positive equities. I'll tell you that, Jenny. What, what, what how do you see things here? I see them exactly the way Shannon does, but with a different spin on it, which is interesting. So I wasn't sure where you were going to go when you said neutral, and I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, neutral isn't negative, but where I think we are is I don't think that the rally it is ain't necessarily. Positive. It's neutral. It's not positive. It's neutral. You're right. It's not positive. It's also not negative. It's neutral. And so where I come at it, if I were to say I'm neutral equities too, I would say, all right, here's where we are. Maybe we get to $250 of earnings on the S&P 500 next year. That's a hope and a prayer. That's plus 11% year over year. We're seeing nothing so far from earnings that would suggest that you're going to grow. Why is 11%. that a hope and a prayer? Because we've seen nothing in the fourth quarter. To Steve's point earlier, when we get into earnings that we get in January, I don't think we're going to see a lot of really great stuff out there. It's kind of, it's just a, it's just a, you know, we're coming off of this distortion of the pandemic, and we're just getting back to kind of normal. But that's not enthusiastic. That's not, I don't know, I can't be enthusiastic about it. So, so let's say we get to $250 of earnings. Let's say we put a 19 times multiple on it, which I think is aggressive. That gets you to 47.50 on the S&P 500. That's plus 2% from here. That is uninspiring. That puts me to at neutral, like, you know, less macro-y, kind of more earnings-based valuation. But I can't get to anything that's inspiring. Now, now, you know, you can go into other areas of the market, right? Like if we talk about dividends or value or small cap or international, you can get enthusiastic on individual parts. But broadly speaking on the market and equities, like, you know, what I keep out telling my clients is we need to remember that from 2011 until 2021, the market returned an annualized 16 and a half percent. Over time, the market returns 8 to 10. We are still working off of that sugar high, and we're going to be working off of that for a long time. And one thing that really bugs me is when people kind of complain about the flat two years we've had because we were, what, down 18% last year, up 20% this year, and everyone's like, boo-hoo. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? You need to consolidate the returns. Like, no one was crying at up 16.5%. That was the greatest thing ever. Like, it wasn't normal. It shouldn't have sustained. Be happy with neutral. Josh, um, are you better than neutral? <laughs> <laughs> on equities, where, 
<laughs> Help. <laughs> I am. I am better than neutral. I am better than Ezra. I am. I'm doing okay. Let's say now. Uh, here's here's the obvious to me. It might not work. I just think it's very obvious. Uh, we're gonna shoot into the first quarter with a lot of momentum. People are excited about stocks again, and they should be. This is one of the better years I can remember. It didn't seem like it was going to be that in the first half. I think a switch was flipped sometime around April, May. We stopped hearing about banking problems. Uh, inflation started to meaningfully moderate. And then NVIDIA had that, that Jesus quarter. And ever since then, it has paid to buy companies that are growing earnings and defying uh, dour Wall Street expectations. It's really been a seven-month rampage since May. And what's really great about the last couple of weeks is that it has not just been Magnificent Seven. There's a whole layer of tech stocks beneath those gigantic tech stocks that have actually outperformed most of the gigantic stocks, uh, NVIDIA aside. Look at AMD, new 52-week high right now. Uh, this was not an outrageously expensive stock. This is a company that's delivering. It's not a trillion-dollar market cap. It is just crushing it. Uber is another example. Um, I'm in CrowdStrike, which is up 140% on the year. There is a whole layer of those types of stocks that are meaningfully breaking out. But that's not all, as they say. I want you to look at the DAX. Germany is, is breaking out, 10-year highs. Um, look at uh, Japan starting to break out, multi, multi, multi-year highs. You're seeing uh, small caps act well, you're seeing industrials act well. It is very broad-based, and so I think the obvious thing going into next year is anything but FANG. Like, there are so many sectors right now that are breaking out that look good, and you don't have to pay absurd valuations. Just very quickly, basic materials, eight and a half times earnings. Energy, eight, 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 eight times earnings even. Uh, industrials, 15. Um, utilities, 11. The whole market is not as expensive as perhaps Apple at 35 times is. There, there are a lot of other things that we could focus on and look at. Does that mean the S&P nominally will repeat this year's performance? Probably not. Doesn't mean you have to have a, 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 a bad outlook going into 2024. I think I want to point out something that Josh just said, because I think it's really important that people understand this. Mm -hmm. When we talk about equities, when we sit around and on this panel and we talk about building portfolios, we're talking about more than just the S&P 500. And I think that that may be lost sometimes in the conversation. So if you think about how you're positioning, if I, for instance, am neutral equity, I have exposure to the small caps. I have exposure to international. I think that there are opportunities. I think that the set it and forget it trade that has been in place this year, where you could just buy the S&P 500, or more importantly, just buy the Qs. Well, that's not. I but think that, that's but the that, was, that was good through the fall, but that's not been the case over the last since two November. Months. But so what? That's six weeks. So what? So we need the we need to have evidence that this broadening out is not just as a result of people trying to position into year end. We know, need the, to see. But, but the people who didn't see, the people who didn't want to buy the the, the mega caps. As they were rallying, well, we need, you know, let's see more evidence that it's just not a AI-fueled bubble. Everybody has the mega caps. Everybody has exposure to the mega caps. Not me. Right? I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to figure you're not out. Overweight. I'm trying to figure the out like what more. The only way that you outperformed is that if you were overweight, those <laughs> names, Scott, and those are huge positions. I'm in just the trying to figure out just what more do the bears 
what more, what, what more do the Bears want? Like, at, at some point, you say, okay, soft landing looks likely. Fed's done hiking. All the doomsday hey, scenarios about, hold on, what they've already done are not going to come to fruition because this time was different because the, the mattress was so thick when the Fed started doing all of this that the negative cries for the last 12 plus months are going to all fall to the side. And people are going to realize that it's actually not such a dire scenario, well, Steve. You know, I, I don't think we've necessarily played that that game to fruition. As Shen said earlier, we might not have. I'm not suggesting <clears throat> right. that we definitely have. It's taken a long time for interest rates. But to isn't the bear case system. getting tired? Well, I, the, <laughs> look, the, yes, the bear case is tired because it's been. <laughs> and around. I'm talking to a bear. Right. Well, you I, were a bear. I You're, was a bear. You were. I was a bear. Why aren't it's you sir? now? Well, it served me well last year, right. right? And this year, I've actually done well because of my positioning. To your point, so. I still see more negative catalysts out there than positive catalysts. And I'm not sure everybody sees that. I don't necessarily see a soft landing. I don't see the bank issue being resolved, okay? Because we haven't had- What, the regional bank issue? The regional bank issue, but also, let's pay, so I spend a lot of time in private markets. Do you know how many companies are just not getting funded, going belly up? Do you know who owns a lot of that debt? Not just SVB. Okay, but this massive private credit bubble that we have, that has not been played out. And I think that there is significant risk to that bubble exploding. It doesn't have to explode so. broadly, but I think it can get, if you t let some of the air out, that's pretty negative because that's where the lending has come from that's powered the economy. It's not come from the big banks. And while the regional banks have been lending for real estate, for multifamily, which we're seeing multifamily weaken somewhat too, and commercial, which we've definitely seen weaken, private equities pick that up. It's extraordinary what happened. Look at what's happened to private equity in China. Now, we're not China. I don't expect that. But to think that there's no risk to that and to think that it's clear sailing ahead because the bank crisis behind us is sticking your head in the sand. But maybe, Josh, maybe, Josh, it's just simply back to just don't fight the Fed. Don't fight it when it's hiking. Don't fight it when it's done. But, but you have to have one more point before Josh talks. Sorry, Josh. You have to make the bet that a massive rate tightening cycle will never hit the economy. Okay, that's not the bet I'm making. That's not the bet you're making. All I'm betting is because of that fat mattress you referred to, yeah. that is just delayed. Okay. And one more thing, yeah. the, the labor particip participation rate has picked up. It hasn't picked up because people said, hey, I miss going to work every day, particularly for the jobs they're coming back to. What they're saying is I've run out of cash. So on one hand, it's positive because you'll keep now wages, hopefully you'll keep a lid on it. On the other hand, I think it's an indication of what's happening with the consumer. Josh. I think one of the most remarkable things about this cycle that very few people would have predicted and many people are still in shock about is that we might have short-circuited a potential recession by being so hyper aware of the potential for a recession <laughs> that we, we, I say we, the colloquial we, um, we, we battened down the hatches before things could get out of control. There were CFO surveys, Duke University does CFO survey, in, in 2022 where CFOs were universally answering that they expected a recession. We had these mass waves of layoffs in media, in telecom, in technology throughout 2022. 
And then we had this earnings recession that started in Q4 of 22. We had earnings fall yet again in Q1, yet again in Q2 of this year. And then this past quarter, the third quarter, earnings were actually 5% above Q3 2022, thus ending a three-quarter earnings recession. That's the reason to make the turn. Like, if you ask me, like, why, how could you say soft landing? It's not that we'll never have a recession. It's that we very well should have had a recession. But two things happened. Maybe we the did. first is Maybe people got really recession. cautious. We did. Maybe we already recession. did. Well, we definitely yeah. did in tech. Sil- Silicon Valley, look at valuations in, in uh, pre-IPO startups. 100% they had a recession. But you, you the bigger me picture is we got industrials and things like that. Maybe we I think did. It, I it think was we hiding s- in plain sight. I think, we saw, I think we saw that. So you had an earnings recession. The bears were right. The thing is, the stock market anticipated the 2023 earnings recession in 2022. That's what that sell-off was about, okay? So we did that. The second thing, now that we have earnings growth, the second thing to worry about is, um, did we do too many rate hikes? Okay, maybe. But if you listen to people like Dr. David Kelly at JP Morgan and others, uh, they're talk- and they have been consistently right about this, the, the overnight Fed funds rate is just not as powerful as maybe it used to be in a more industrialized economy, number one. And number two, there was so much stimulus in the system that it preemptively uh, stopped there being some sort of credit event. People just did not stop spending. Don't listen to my opinion. Simply look right. at how the consumer has behaved this time versus any other time we've seen rates go up this fast. So that's where we are. It doesn't mean it'll stay this way, but honestly, we keep saying, well, sooner or later, fine. In the meanwhile, there are things worth investing in. Yeah, and and our, our CNBC Fed survey, uh, perfectly timed, of course, by, by Steve Leisman, who, who joins us now, our senior economics reporter. Um, so this shows that we're looking for cuts next year, and it shows that we're looking for a soft landing. Um, are these cuts because they can? It sounds like it, not because they have to. Yeah, I, I think that the uh, group is bringing down uh, the funds rate along with inflation. That is the forecast. Uh, what we have, we've got cuts in the cards, and we also have, by the way, S&P 5000, Scott, but I don't think anything is happening as quickly as perhaps the market wants. I'll just give you one screen here. This is the Fed's expectations. Nobody thinks we're doing anything tomorrow, of course, but our uh, survey shows that more than half first look for the first cut in June 2024. The futures market, of course, has 79% uh, probabilities by May, about 40 or 50 by, by March. 453 is the year end. The futures market is down towards 420. So 85 basis points of cuts built in, not the 120 in the futures market. And then we asked for the first time here, Scott, when might the Fed end QT, which nobody's really talking about, but November 24 with respondents basically all over the place on that. And, and just uh, one commentary I think worth putting out. Peter Bookvar, a guy we all follow, one of our respondents, says, I still believe that uh, Powell has the memories of the 70s in his mind. He'll be more stubborn in keeping monetary policy tight for longer than the market wants him to be. I'll leave it there, Scott. There's a few other screens we could maybe go through. But I think that's the important thing is that this group's a little bit slower. I think they're maybe a little bit more uh, attuned to the variability of the data. Whereas the market, at least the futures market, seems priced for perfection. Today was a good example of that, I thought. Um, and I wonder if Weiss knows just how smart he is, because 
when he points to that PPI tomorrow, we normally wouldn't make a big deal of it, but because so much of the PPI is reflects the difference between the PCE and the CPI, that that's why we're going to watch the PPI tomorrow so much, because it's going to tell us more about the Fed's preferred inflation indicator. There are things in there that we don't get in the CPI that will tell us more about that PCE. And that's why it's been, by the way, a market mover for uh, the last several months while we've been watching and very, very t tightly tuned to these uh, inflation reports. Two things. Um, I love you, but this may be the last time you're on this program after saying that about Weiss, because I don't know if you saw his face, but he was very prideful in your in your statement there. Um, I wish you didn't go there, but I guess you did. Um, that's neither here nor there. What, what is the idea, Scott, to keep them all down, keep them all in their place? I'm sorry. I'll, I'll work all. with you on that not, more. Not all, Steve. Uh, I mean, not, you've not, been on this program long enough. Just Weiss. Just Weiss. Keep, keep me Just in my very, gotcha. very elevated okay. place. Thank hey, you. Steve, in all seriousness, before I let you well, run. We, um, we know what, we can't keep Josh down, yes. so forget what that. Is your, right? What's your gut tell you about the kind of message <laughs> that Powell is going to try to deliver tomorrow? I, I'm sure... You, you try to anticipate, you know, these kinds of things because you don't have to worry about them hiking or cutting or anything like that. So then it becomes the message. What, what do you think? Well, I, I think reporters are going to try to get him to say cuts are coming. And I think it's interesting. He'll have to represent the view of the committee. And remember, the view of the committee will be known more so in the dots. Mm -hmm. And whether or not there are this concept I'm thinking tomorrow about uh, dissenting dots, whether some of the guys don't really want to play the game of, hey, we're not cutting a lot next year. There may be those who say, you know what, we might need to or might be cutting a lot along with my inflation forecast. And that's what Powell has said is okay. If you, if you have a, a, a more benign view on inflation, and Yellen said this today, Waller said this a couple weeks ago, that if you have a more benign view on inflation, it makes sense to have more benign view of, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. of the outlook for the funds rate. I think Powell's going to say, I don't have that benign view. I think he's going to look at this report today and say, show me where it's going to 2%. And we all look at it and say, hey, 3.1 is better than 3.2, is better than 3.7, is better than 9 when it was before. But Powell's goal is 2%. He's going to say, I don't see it. And I'm not going to be uh, uh, dissuaded yet to talk about cuts because we're not there yet. Let's let's see how long it takes for Waller's name to come up, right? Because this is the first chance to find out if 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 Mr. Waller was uh, rogue or if he was speaking for someone or or some people. So we'll we'll find out. It'll be interesting, Steve. Thanks. We'll see you uh, for certain tomorrow. Sure. After the uh, decision Fine. is rendered and the news conference uh, wraps up as well. Let's talk about Oracle uh, right now, if we could, guys. Stock's down a lot. It's our chart of the day. Revenue missed. Shares are down, as I said. Guidance was below expectations. Bill Baruch joins us now because he owns the stock. He declared to us today that it's, quote, on the chopping block. So uh, are you selling it today? I'm not selling it today. I want to see how we get through this week. And it feels like it actually was about three months ago. I was sitting here saying the same thing. It's on the chopping block. It ended up holding, you know, in a broad market sell-off, $100, which is a pretty critical level psychologically as well as technically. But a second time down here, I'm less enthusiastic about it. Again, second bad quarter in a row. They're clearly not able to capitalize on the AI move, uh, the movement there. But Larry Ellison was obviously upbeat on, on the call last night. He's talking about data centers. 
you know, I, I'm concerned about the scalability in data centers, uh, though he is hyping the EPS. I mean, estimates for, for the next quarter out are confirmed. So if they're able to to to, to work these e, the EPS at 132, I think 132, 135, 139 is the estimate above analysts on the guidance at 127, they could hit that. Um, I mean, it could really generate some serious free cash flow down the road. But I mean, again, it comes hey, back Bill. to the cloud here. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm a former Oracle share. I'm a former Oracle shareholder, and fundamentally, I like the story. Um, what's the risk management here? If this stock ends the week below its weekly closing 200-day moving average, which it looks increasingly likely, is that the point where you just say, "All right, the the, the trade is over, and maybe I'll re-enter it at some point," or is there something fundamental that you're using instead? I'm just curious how you think about that. Well, first, from a broader picture here, I want to be rotating out a bit of tech. I'm way too heavy in tech right now as I'm looking into next year. And I'm happy with tech in general as we get some momentum in December. Oracle's left the dust. So that's really the first one here on the chopping block. I was on the show last week and talked about uh, a cut in Marvell. So Oracle's next. And, and $100 here, that's the level. So we go into the Fed tomorrow. If we have a broad market move down, I think Oracle would actually outpace some of the other stocks holding it a bit better. Uh, $100 is also the 382 retracement coming back down to those uh, 2022 lows. So it's a big line in the sand there. Again, I'm not too enthusiastic about it, but I like to make decisions if I can on a weekly basis and see if it can respond to support here. But regardless, it's going to be one of the first names that, that I'm looking to cut here as I rotate into more financials and healthcare uh, into uh, looking out to uh, 2024. Yeah, I don't want you to bury that last comment that you made mm -hmm. as you look to enter you know, financials and maybe healthcare or, or whatever else. What specifically are you looking to buy within any of those spaces? Yeah, looking at uh, financials broadly here, we own Bank of America, JP Morgan, as well as Morgan Stanley. Now, I want to build up Bank of America a bit more. I think it can outpace next year. I, I think the, uh, the yield curve, will, we'll see that steepen. And if you see Bank of America overlay with a 10-year Treasury yield, it's it's been basically, or 10-year Treasury price, actually, when we're seeing yields up, uh, this thing's selling off. I'd like to get this, add to it at a bit of a better price. Now, regionals are also on my radar, but the problem with regionals here, you take a look at a, a, a name like Bank Bank of OZK, and uh, it's really outperformed well. And you take a look at a, a, a name like uh, Citizens, and it has underperformed, obviously, greatly. Now, do we see a reversion of that and some of the underperforming ones really outperform next year? And then you're sort of missing it, or you're, or you're really taking some risk with that. I like leaning into the big names right now. Bank of America is on top of my list. If I don't take more risk into, into the, a bank that could capitalize on yields, I would then look to Morgan Stanley instead and increasing my exposure there or maybe adding a name like Goldman Sachs. But again, in 2024, I think we're going to see those financials really have a solid year. All right, Bill, appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Good update. Now to Dom Chu, who has a market flash for us. Dom, what are you watching? On a Dow component, Walgreens Boots Alliance, which is up about 2% right now, right near its session highs. And this is due in large part to a Bloomberg story that just came out in the last few moments or so, saying that Walgreens is perhaps looking to revive discussions on a possible £7 billion exit from its boots, UK pharmacy retail division. Now, this 
division has been talked about as a possible deal for maybe a couple years now. But they did say that the company has been holding early talks about ways to separate that UK-based Boots retail drugstore operation, according to people familiar, and that it's studying a possible London initial public offering as one of those possibilities, according to sources familiar. So that's the reason why those shares are up. Scott, I'll send things back over to you. All right. I appreciate that update, Dom Chu. Thank you very much. Coming up, we got calls of the day, including a big upgrade for a real estate stock Josh has his eyes on. Shares are up 10% a month uh, that, this month alone. We'll give you the name when we come back on the half after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. We're going to show you shares of Zillow today. They got an upgrade. Josh Brown's had his eye on it. JMP is the upgrader. Stock's up 2.5%, just about. Price target to 60. That's up 35% from the current price. Believe consensus estimates for 25 and 26 are too low. Josh, what do you think about this? You mentioned it on the show last week that you had your eye on it. I think we have a deficit of single-family homes of about $6 million. And every year, that, that number actually grows larger. Um, and, and mortgage rates have been crashing. They're down six weeks straight. I think they have nowhere to go but down. Barron's had a cover story this weekend, higher, higher rates for longer. That's how you know it's not going to be that. So I actually like, broadly speaking, anything that has to do with the single-family home uh, real estate market. Zillow is the biggest name in that space. It's a $10 billion market cap with $100 billion worth of name brand recognition. The stock absolutely cratered over the last couple of years and with good reason. They got into a lot of bad businesses like uh, iBuying and such. That's all over now. Now they're going to focus at what they're best at, generating leads for realtors all over America. Nobody does it better. There are other names in this group worth looking at as well, Redfin, Compass, etc. But if I were to pull the trigger, the one I'll probably buy is Zillow. The only reason I'm not there yet, uh, the stock has just been on an absolute rampage for the last couple of weeks. It is right now getting stopped at its 200-day moving average. I want to give it a couple of days and see how that resolves and it might set up for me. I will definitely keep you guys posted. Okay, stock's uh, getting a nice lift today, Shan. Yeah. Watching this one? 
Listen, I, I, I don't disagree. I think that the longer term tailwinds for single family housing are clear. Um, I guess, you know, for me, I'm trying to figure out what's the kind of the first entree into that trade. And I think that if you're looking at it from a new new home sales versus existing home sales, I continue to think that a lot of the housing growth is going to be driven by new home sales. So my first foray would sort of be on to the, the home builders, frankly. They're already trading it like all time highs. They're up 50 percent this year. But I mean, but, but, but existing <laughs> home sales aren't going to pick up. I mean, we, you'd have to see this this affordability improve and supply of existing homes improve. And I don't see that happening in 24. Uh, let's talk Humana. Upgraded to buy at Argus, uh, Weiss, Target 550. You own it. This is part of your profitable healthcare trade that you've been on since, uh, I think, the beginning of the year at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a puzzling stock. When the Cigna news broke out, Cigna was thinking of acquiring them, and investors sold Humana and said, look, this is going to be going nowhere for two years while the FTC sues them to prevent it. So the stock sold off, major sell-off, about 10%, which is major for this kind of stock. Then when the news on Cigna came out saying, we're not doing this anymore, the stock trade up pre-market, then proceed to sell down again. So what do people want? In the meantime, I think at this point, it's relatively inexpensive. It's pretty predictable growth. So I think it's a reasonable, very reasonable purchase here. And, you know, it'll catch up. It'll always trade a discount to UNH, but it'll catch up somewhat. So I think down here, you've taken most of the risk out. You still basking in the Leesman glow? <laughs> I don't think, I think Leesman should be on, like, 20 minutes, and I should be on 40. So, yeah. Well, you're on for the He's hour. The you you're already on 60. Have. I mean, like on camera for 40, not just on the show. <laughs> they might be ready for Leesman for that. Okay, not me. Don't get over your skis, okay. all right? <laughs> Rio, upgraded. Uh, Jenny, you own it. Overweight, uh, that's it, uh, J.P. Morgan. Best-in-class balance sheet. This is what JPM says, with minimal debt and substantial capital headroom. Yep, so I think that's right. It's interesting. This is in our international income strategy, and we actually added it a really long time ago at 46 bucks. And the cool thing is, so it's a dividend play, right? It's got an almost 6% yield. We added it at 46 bucks. We've collected $35 of income on it. It's trading at 69.50. You think normally I'd say like, okay, it's time to sell. It's had its move, blah, blah, blah. No, we're in this for the long haul. And it's interesting because the, the world collectively is really underinvested in commodity production for the last 15 years. So now it's too late to catch up. These like mines take 20 years to build and get up to production. And so for what we need for the next decade or two, we're underproduced. So commodities are going to stay really tight. We think this is just a huge cash flow. It's got a 9% free cash flow yield, a set up, like I said, a 6-7% dividend yield. They have $10 billion of free cash flow. Everything's going for this one. All right, let's get to Pippa Stevens now. She has the headlines for us. Hi, Pippa. Hey, Scott. A senior official said President Biden invited the families of American hostages in Gaza to the White House on Wednesday. This will be the first in-person meeting between the president and the families since the Americans were kidnapped on October 7th. The official said the number of families expected to attend is unclear and that some may appear virtually. A former Georgia election worker is on the stand today in her defamation trial against Rudy Giuliani. The trial will determine how much the former New York City mayor and Trump ally will pay Shay Moss and her mother, Ruby Freeman. A judge found Giuliani liable earlier this year for defaming the two with claims that they committed fraud in the 2020 election. 
And New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu is expected to endorse Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, three sources tell NBC News. The endorsement from an early voting state could boost Haley's status in the race for the GOP presidential nomination. Haley and Sununu are scheduled to appear together at a town hall tonight. Scott, back to you. Pippa, thank you. That's Pippa Stevens. Up next, Mike Santoli. He's here with his midday word. We're back right after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. We're back. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli, is at the desk now. So, as I said at the top of the show, got over the CPI hurdle, you know, unscathed. Yeah. It's fine. Um, and now we'll see what Powell has to deliver. And the market's acting like it's a non-event. <laughs> you have the VIX under 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've locked into the same very slow bid in the noon hour that you have pretty much the last three days. So it seems kind of this mechanical. We feel as if nothing's going to steer us away from the disinflation is in train, uh, the story that uh, the Fed is, you know, done but patient in terms of starting the next, uh, the next easing cycle. And we've already gotten, gotten there. So I think the test for the market is just do we get ourselves wound up into this everything's fine moment and then prices just escalate from here and then it sort of creates the sentiment positioning issue for for January. The only thing I I would say would be a worry is that the market is just too complacent about the idea of the Fed being really resolute and keeping rates where they are. Yeah. Not hiking anymore. You can say they're done, but just not cutting anywhere close. Forget about the first one in March. Whatever. Well, that's no Anywhere. longer even priced in for March. I know. Now it's you know, yeah. June. Anywhere close to right. where the market expects. Well, that's the biggest risk, I think, at this point. And I, I would argue that's not really a risk because the market is not where it is because of the precise, implicit timing of the first cut, in my view. And how do we know that? Well, Thursday of last week, it was March. Now it's June. The market's higher. I mean, I know that's a small sample size, but it shows you to me that as long as it's peak Fed, peak rates, peak all the stuff we've been talking about, if that's your premise, we can work with that. Um, it, you know. But you need, you need the idea that there's going to be some cuts next year. Yes. Least, don't you? But it's also it's all because of where you think inflation's going to. If, if the market's wrong on inflation, well, then it's wrong, wrong on, on everything. Then it's wrong on price. That's right. But but if not, it's not going to be the Fed. I think the market got the memo that the Fed no longer thinks 
they need to really bleed the economy to get the job done. And if that changes, then we're in for a surprise. But until then, then, then I think it's okay. I'll see you on Closing Bell a couple hours. That's our senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. Coming up, we're shopping for opportunity. The committee debates the top picks in retail. The holiday shopping season's underway. Jenny's got her top dividend plays, too, coming up. We're going to do that before we're out of here. We're back after this. Welcome back. I want to talk about a few more stocks in the news. Jenny, you got this one because it's Kohl's. It's your stock. Goldman reiterates a sell call on KSS. I was a little surprised by that because they also put out a buy on VF Corp, so I own both of those still. Um, but on Kohl's... Happy and sad. <laughs> okay. But on Kohl's, it's interesting. If you look back two weeks ago, they had their earnings report. Like, earnings were fine. You know, Outlook was a little squishy. They actually upgraded in earnings for the full year. They stood behind the dividend. You're getting a 9% yield. And it's... It's a funny thing, too, when we think about Macy's yesterday. Like, why was Macy's up so much? Because there's private equity stepping in and saying there's huge value here. Yes, they're focusing on the real estate side. But if we think back to what our initial investment thesis on Kohl's was a year ago, there had been a lot of um, takeover talk there. And so the really professional retail investors on the private equity side um, were saying, hey, this thing's worth 50 We were kind of thinking, all right, maybe they were wrong. Things have changed. Maybe it's worth 30 Maybe it's worth 40 it's worth more than more than the 25 bucks it's trading at now. Um, so I was surprised Goldman was negative on it. What do you what do you want to say about VF? VF is super interesting. Um, we bought this, I don't know, a couple months ago at about 19 and change after it was down a tremendous amount. Remember, they own Deckers, Timber, sorry, they own um, Timberland, they don't own Deckers. They own Vans, Timberland, I was going to say something about Deckers, um, Smartwool, Supreme. And those businesses, are. some of them are challenged, some of them are okay. It's a great management team, a new CEO. He came in and kind of kitchen synced it, cut the dividend, stock plunged from like 17 bucks down to 13 bucks. It's back up to 18 and a half. And what, well, it stinks for me because it ruins the dividend part of the thesis. It actually accelerates the growth part of the thesis in terms of them keeping that cash and really repositioning the company and getting behind those brands and reinvigorating those brands. But what we've seen broadly on retail, too, is that not all retail is created equally. Consumers are spending differently. And in those kind of middle to high end brands like North Face, like Smartwool, like Timberland, those consumers are still holding up. So I think there's a lot of upside there. Okay. Speaking of dividends, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and you'll okay. give some dividend plays for 24 because it was a tough year for dividends. It was. Right? It's gotten better in the last three weeks. All right, we'll hold the thought because <laughs> we'll come back and do that right after this quick break. Welcome back. Let's talk dividends for 2024. I mentioned it's, it's been a rough year. Um, and a lot of these stocks on your list are down a lot year to date. New York Community Bank is the outlier. It's up 16%. But otherwise, go through some of these picks. Why you still like them. Organon is number one on your list. It's down 60% year to date. Right. Um, so the reason I chose this collection for you all is because these ones are down. There are actually a lot of stocks in the portfolio that are up quite a bit on the year, but I figured those have had their run. So this goes back to the top of the show when we were saying, hey, as we as investors talk about other places to invest. And what we have here is a nice little list for you. Clear Castle, Clearway Energy, Sorry, Crown Castle, Clearway Energy. One Oak, yeah, one Whirlpool, Oak. New York Community Bank, Organon. Right. They all have dividend yields of 5.5% or better. Organon's at 10%. 
all of these, except for Organon, which was a spinoff from Merck recently, have paid have paid dividends for like nine years, 10 years, 29 years, 50 years. So that's really, really certain. And Scott, one thing, putting it into context, we need, we need to remember, they haven't had a great year this year, dividends collectively, but don't forget, the dividend indexes were down like 7% last year when the market was down 19. So we really are riding a much, we're on the kiddie coaster with these where there's lower highs and lower lows and they kind of net out to be pretty great. Um, but the reason I chose this collection too is because they all have unique things. So for Crown Castle, for example, Elliott Management has stepped, stepped in and been really, really active and said, hey, the towers are wildly undervalued. They're trying to replace management. They're being very active here and really highlighting the value. On Clearway, this is an energy company that's really in the clean space. And so that, like the yield codes, the clean energy, they've gotten decimated. I think that's why there's an opportunity here. And you've got a 7% um, yield. New York Community Bank, remember they acquired Signature? So as you go into 25, they actually have a huge burst from boost from earnings accretion. Um, Organon, like I said, that one's just, just stupid, cheap, undervalued. There's nothing really compelling on their drug pipeline. One Oaks uh, Energy Midstream Company, really, really consistent cash flows there. And finally, Whirlpool, which we've talked about before. This is one where you can play a consumer that's been overly discounted, a really well-covered dividend, a really well-managed company. You mentioned the reason you put these on the list because a lot of them are down and others that you have are, are up a lot. Are you thinking about moving away from some of yeah. the ones that are up a lot into some of the ones that are down? How, how are we thinking I about am. that? So it's pretty challenging because we actually started the year off and sold things like Fortress, Chevron, um, AbbVie, and I have huge capital gains. And so I've been doing really aggressive capital loss harvesting all year, but I still have huge capital gains. So as soon as I turn the page on the new year, I have four. I'll just say one of them, Seagate, for example. Seagate doesn't really make sense for the dividend income portfolio. It's had an enormous move, right? I, I mean, it's nothing knocking on the company. The yield just isn't there. So as soon as we get past January 1st, I'm going to sell that, kick the tax gain into next year. I don't think there's significant downside, so there's no urgency, and we will replace those. So actually, Organon's a great example of when you're saying, are you repurposing? Yeah. So, so we tax lost harvested in Organon. Because it's a dividend income portfolio, there's always cash flowing in. So what I did when I bought it back was I didn't just buy it back at the same level I had sold it out at, but I actually put it back in the portfolio across the board at the model weight. So it really increased the position size. And so the moves are going to be pretty marginal. And then when I think about what I'm going to do in just a month and change, not even a month anymore, and when I sell something like Seagate, and I'll probably sell Iron Mountain also after a year, and that's an enormous gain over the years, it'll go into things like Flex, like Organon, like Clearway, like New York Community. And that's just, I think, prudent portfolio management. But at this point, I don't have anything great on the new buy, on the short new buy list. All right. You let us know when you do. I will. Uh, we'll take a, a break. We'll come back. We'll do finals next. Halftime Report Podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Uh, super excited about closing bell today, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. I hope you'll join me. Have a CNBC exclusive interview with John Waldron. He is the President and Chief Operating Officer of Goldman Sachs. We'll talk about the current environment. 
what lies ahead for the economy, the markets, and of course for that firm. Also, Liz Ann Saunders and Adam Parker with me too. So it's going to be an all-star lineup, and I will see you at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Final trades. Josh Brown, what you got? Wanted to congratulate uh, outgoing CEO of Shake Shack, Randy Garuti, who announced his retirement yesterday. Mm-hmm. Stock is having a huge week. Uh, maybe change is good. Announced it on this network, as a matter of fact. Glad you noticed that. Josh, thanks. Steve Weiss. Humana, stock's too cheap. It's got a free cash flow yield of mid-teens. It's about 15 times earnings. Okay. Jenny? It's pretty crazy that we're all in healthcare, except for Josh. <laughs> Pfizer, 5.7% yield, 10 times earnings, too cheap for its future cash flows. Okay. And Shan? Uh, healthcare in general, go look at the chart of IYH from mid-October to now. We had a significantly larger drawdown than the S&P. All right, guys. I'll see you at Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 